Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was our finest. Hey guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Today, we're going to talk about something in light of what's going on in the United States right now. These protests that are against the discrimination that black people have been encountering ever since before the inception of the United States. Right, 1619. And I think in this particular case, it's focused on another, you know, really true phenomenon, which is the way that the police, as an instrument of the state, have attacked and murdered black people for pretty much the police's entire existence in the United States. And for better or worse, that's not the only institution in America or in the world that has been inflected by racism. So this episode, we're going to dive into the ways that racism has impacted science. And tragically, it's had a very deep relationship with the construction of biology over hundreds of years. And so it's a huge and necessary narrative to untangle. Right. I think you could probably say that from the very early origins of racism that economics has been tied to it. But you can also say that science has had a symbiotic relationship in helping to form the very concepts that undergird racism. And then also, in so many ways, so many huge concepts in science and biology were driven forward and weakened by the existence of racism, both systemically and within the scientists themselves. So this is the inaugural episode of a three-part that we're going to do. First, we're going to talk about that historical structuring of racism in science. Then after that, we're going to talk about genetics and eugenics, right? How racism has not just structured all sorts of scientific thinking in the past, but was really interconnected with new developments in the 20th century. And then after that, we're going to talk about various experiments that have been done in science. Ways that not only has thought in science been racist, but ways that racism has directly and acutely harmed people in the pursuit of false premises and thus false conclusions. All right, so let's get into it. The word race has been bandied around for a long time in human civilization, but we're going to start a little bit later in the period of the Enlightenment. You know, Sean was telling me before the pod that prior to that, there was kind of a Christian idea in Europe that all people were made in the image of God, and thus kind of on the Aristotelian ladder of creation, humans together were above animals. There were various attempts prior to the Age of Enlightenment to throw some humans off that ladder, basically by saying they weren't Christian, right? But that was kind of an interesting and contentious debate, largely a mechanism by which they could enslave Irish people. <laughs> uh, no offense to modern Brit listeners. You know, that was a, that, let's not worry about that. Well, I think that there is something, there's an interesting thing that happens when you go back far enough in time. I would say 
before the most recent incarnation of science as we know it now, which was the Enlightenment period. But if you go before that, people have been prejudiced against other people for a very, very long time. Probably it's something that is related to our desire to categorize things and other people, and also the ease with which we stereotype things. Right. But what matters for our story is when people started to invent microscopes, when we started to really push a biological understanding of the world, that's what kind of created racism as we know. Well, not, not created racism, but that's what created a race as an idea, right? At least the modern idea of race has its origins in the scientific revolution. Yeah, and I think part and parcel with that is the fact that the Age of Enlightenment and the scientific revolution were occurring also kind of in conjunction and a little bit after Age of Exploration. Right, right? We're colonizing. And you're going out there, you're seeing a lot of new and different kinds of things, right? So as the world was expanding, so too... Was there a desire to categorize those new things that they were finding and figure out ways that they can assert their dominance, right? right. So I'm talking about white Europeans in this case. Right. It was interesting how it was kind of an open dialectic, amongst Europeans at least. You had people like Rousseau who were like, oh man, native peoples, they're so lucky, they're so free. You know, Rousseau kind of idealized the noble savage, which has, of course, its own racial undertones and is problematic. Then you had, I think, Montague, who wrote like a whole essay on cannibals, <laughs> which was kind of fueled by this notion of cannibals in the Amazon. So in intellectual Europe, you had a very vigorous debate on the peoplehood around the world, like whether they were humans in our capacity, uh... Well, we're half Korean, so, <laughs> so I guess we're mongoloid by their definition. <laughs> well, yeah, so I think it's interesting. There was a lot of ways that people tried to group people, right. right? So, you know, way early on, it was like what sort of nation state or like city state you came from. Right. Or whatever, and then things started kind of becoming more about like geographical location, right? right. So it'd be like, oh, so Europeans are all from some kind of common stock, and then... Africans, except for the coasts, for some reason, or what you know, like there, right. there'd be all these reasons. Leibniz, who's really famous for things relating to calculus, considered grouping people by linguistics, so by language origin, right, as some kind of way of considering what people were more closely related to each other, right. And a lot of these groupings in the lead up to the 1700s were also observations about physical characteristics. Why do people like categories so much, man? I think, I think in general, we automatically enjoy grouping things into categories. Yeah, but it, I blame Aristotle. <laughs> he was like, knowledge is categories, and we just you, ran with it. Did you read the thing about uh, Aristotle, for some reason, was comparing three, you know, quote-unquote, races, which was Greeks, Europeans, and Asians? <laughs> <laughs> and that he was talking about which ones would make the best slaves. Oh, wow. And he said that Europeans would make terrible slaves. Okay. Because they were too stupid and unruly. Okay. Wow. But that Asians make good slaves. Wow. Because they are smart, but also docile. I have, like, so many jokes I want to say. <laughs> I'm going to refrain, except to say that I did see my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> Definitely a different race. <laughs> oh, boy. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's nothing but pitfalls for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many barely veiled holes that I'm falling it's into a, here. Uh, what, what was his name? Um, Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just rakes. nothing but rakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've often compared to Sideshow Bob. Yeah, so so we were already doing these groupings based on physical characteristics, but also things about, like, culture, cultural similarities between peoples. And Native Americans is a good example, right? Because yeah. the actual Native American groups 
totally different from each other. Just as diverse as like the entirety of Eurasia, right? Sure. But they're all like kind of, you know, compared to Europeans, like Europeans are like, ah, well, they're all just Native Americans. Like they all like feathers or whatever, you know, they're, they they categorize them off of very loosely defined cultural characteristics. Yeah. And so what I think is interesting is how that changed over time, which I think we'll, we'll get to talk right. a, a little bit about as we go into specific racists and their thoughts. <laughs> but, but I would say overall, very broadly, that these observations, even when they were true, were often kind of tainted by this prejudiced Eurocentric view. I know. It's super annoying when you read, like, an old document, some primary source, where they describe an interesting anthropological detail, a bunch about a tribe, and at the end are like, well, and then they beat babies with tomahawks and eat them because they're cannibals. And you're like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Now I don't know if any of this is true, right? Because that doesn't sound right. Yeah, and so... You know, a lot of these different people that we're going to be talking about soon had these kind of mixed ideas on sort of how much you should rely on geography versus what they look like versus their language or their culture as in terms of grouping people. But biology has to have one, too. (laughs) And it was like race. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like I said, what I think was interesting is that like over the course of the century, right, over the course of the 1700s, it went from being like, hey, look, there's a lot of different kinds of people in Africa. Okay, they're all worse than Europeans, but there's lots of different kinds. Right. right. It went from that to like black. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. basically just started painting with a broad brush, right? To the point where like you have Thomas Jefferson and he's like, all slaves are slaves, like whatever. you right. know. Which is hilarious because like there was such a diversity, even even among slaves. They were taken from different parts of Africa yeah. and thus were different people, right? Like yeah. they had different like languages, different culture, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, so this actually reminds me of something that I meant to do already, but I'm just going to say it out loud. Wash my mouth out with soap. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to attempt, every time I have an instinct to say slaves, I'm going to attempt to say enslaved people. Because instead of it being some kind of intrinsic aspect of their identity, it's something that was like foisted upon them, right? Yeah, I I think slave has kind of a loaded connotation. But then, by 1800, we're building this idea of race. How did that happen? Right. So, one of these first dudes, this French guy, Francois Bernier, or whatever. Ah, dude, Bernie. Yeah. (laughs) It's Bernie's ancestor. Frank Bernie. (laughs) Frankie Um, Bernie. 1684, this French guy started using the word race for maybe the first time to describe a group of people. Right. Okay. Prior to that, race had been used to talk about horses and dogs. Bad start. (laughs) (laughs) As like a lineage thing. It it was like, this horse is of a great race. Because it's got all these previous horses. No, it it you know, ran the, a great race. You know, all those guys fucked the horses, too. Well, like, yeah. That's like, that's like a lot of weird French and Italian people. That's, that's why nowadays all those horses look so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. The word race probably comes from Rasso in Italian, which might have come from Arabic. Rosso sounds like just Danny Zuko's rival. Like, ah, it's Billy Rose Rosso! <laughs> well, yeah, I buy it. So... Mostly other people had been using word like gens and stuff like that, which right. is based on Latin talking about grouping of peoples. Right. Okay. And that includes the Portuguese dudes who were using the words like gens to separate people since like the 1400s. So way back in the 1400s, it's not like this Bernier guy was the first one who decided to be racist. Yeah. Right? The Portuguese were already writing things trying to denigrate black people right. to make racism okay. So he was a French racist and a thief. <laughs> J'accuse! <laughs> but this Bernier guy had kind of traveled to a lot of different spots in the world 
And he felt like he had a pretty good grasp of things. Like, yeah. he'd seen a lot of different places, especially by 1684, right? What an asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he's French. <laughs> oh, no. No, Sean. Uh, you can't be like that. <laughs> and the, the, this this episode's a little light on the science. So. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta yeah. pop off. Yeah, I got to. Okay. So, for whatever reason, he decided, like, okay, I've seen a lot of the world. I want to come up with what I consider to be a good grouping of peoples. And really, this is actually almost a cartography exercise. Interesting. In that he thought a lot of people were drawing maps and labeling maps based off of, like, the countries. Right. And he was like, what if instead we labeled a map based on the peoples okay. of those areas? It's interesting how it just starts so reasonably. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. So, so he decided first that, like, there was going to be group number one. Everyone in Europe. We're number one. <laughs> plus Persia, for some reason. Yeah. Plus what he called the States of the Great Mogul. Yeah. That was kind of his first grouping. Right. That was group number one. And group number two was all of Africa except for the coasts of Africa. <laughs> Which I don't know if that was mainly about like the Mediterranean coast, like North Africa. He wanted to distinguish that yeah. from some other parts. I'm, but... I'm sure it's also because like he looked at the Congo and was like, I'm not walking in there. <laughs> They must be different, <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure it also relates to like where people went. Most of Inner Africa had not been even charted till fucking Livingston was like meandering around in sure, the 1800s. Sure, and this this was you know 1680, so yeah, yeah, for sure. Third group was Asians, which for him meant Japan, China, Philippines, Georgia, Muscovy, Muscovy. <laughs> that must have made them so mad, dude. Uzbek and Turkestan, right? <laughs> so so kind of a you know Central Asia, right? Plus. The Muscovites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting how Russia's always had this weird love-hate thing with continental Europe. Sure. <laughs> yes. And then the fourth group were the Sami and Laps people. That's pretty cool. For you guys who don't know, those are the bros up in, like, Finland and right. northern Sweden who are just, like, hanging out with reindeer. Yep. Representation. Ready, yeah. airman? He, he definitely He's wanted to represent. bring them in. Although, they were... Like, the main people that he liked shitting on for some reason. Wow. He just had, like, one bad bear steak, and he's just been pissed about it ever since. That's fascinating, because he actually specifically mentions how they eat bear too much. I am a god. That is fascinating. <laughs> wow, anyway. Anyway, so the last part of his book was about how women of all of those races are hot, and he wants to have sex with them. So, <laughs> so, this is know. why, if only the French had defined science and no Englishmen. Because the English are like, ooh, I don't like that, even though they're like, you know, they're on the side. They're like banging boots in India. <laughs> French are just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the continental aspect of it until the Anglos came along. Yeah, I just watched uh, a documentary on Walt Disney about his like Imagineering program for uh -huh. the Disneyland. Uh -huh. Can you imagine if Bernier had made It's a Small World? <laughs> All the beautiful women around the world. <laughs> So, you know, that was We promised ourselves not to have fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, without going too much into why reasons, this guy had decided that there are certain physical characteristics that are worth grouping people by, and that that was kind of matched to geographical space that they occupied in. Right. right? But this guy wasn't doing things super empirically. Right, he's you know? kind of a schmuck. Categories aren't that good. In the notes, Sean could describe him as a noob. Yeah, yeah. He it's just he he didn't bring very much rationale into it. Like he, yeah, he he didn't he even describe just horny. why. He, yeah. he was just like, yes, these are the groups of people, and the women are beautiful. Yeah. And then we, <laughs> and then we have a bigger deal come along. Right. This guy, a lot of you guys maybe know. Let's take a break before we really drop a hammer on your understanding of Kingdom Phylum Class Order 
family genus species. That was beautiful. The following is an actual advertisement. Today's episode of Petri Dish is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so that you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member, and you can too. It's really easy. You just need to apply to become a member, and you're immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's at podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Hey, guys, we're back with Petri Dish. Quick thing, we had told each other not to have fun with this. <laughs> it turns out old Europeans are just too fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It's hard not to, you know, racism is so serious. But these old Europeans, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a fun time. Yeah. And you know what? Like, we should be allowed to laugh at old racists. We need you know to. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the one that we want to talk about now is Carl Linnaeus. Fucking Linnaeus. And you might recognize Linnaeus's name from high school biology, but I think you'll definitely recognize his contribution, which is anytime anybody talks about an animal or a plant or something, and they say like, oh, that's a fiddle-faddle urbanican. Or something like that, right? So they'll have some kind of... You make that up! (laughs) Yes, but (laughs) homo sapiens, for example, right? Using these two words, both Latin, to describe a species, so having their genus first and then their species, that was invented by Linnaeus. And he went around, he was a botanist first, and he went around creating a whole bunch of these groupings of plants, mainly, by conferring with a lot of different botanists, some of which have been kind of like hobbyist botanists and other ones kind of more legitimately scientists. And he created like a really comprehensive grouping of plants and then animals. Yeah. Did he do that for people? Yeah. So what's great is that in uh, 1735, he was like, you know what? Let's do people too. Okay. And that was actually very controversial at the time. Right. There was a lot of other scientists or natural philosophers, as they were called then, that thought that people should specifically be kept separate from all the rest of living beings. Right. But at the time, that didn't feel rational. Right. That's like kind of a vestigial thought of Christendom. Right. And Linnaeus is like, no, I'm a scientist. I gotta be racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, was, he was like, let me be racist. Yeah, and yeah, free. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he decided that our species should be called Homo and that there are four varietals. So he used the term varietals. Some people preferred species or preferred race, right. as we'll find out soon. Varietals is something that still comes up in botany a lot. He was primarily a botanist. Right. His four varietals were European, American, Asian, and African. Okay. Now, if he had just shut the fuck up, I think everyone now could kind of accept, like, hey, you can group people if you want. You know what I mean? Like, sure, Sure. why not say those words? But then he had to, like, toss in his thoughts about each varietal, right? right? So, like, he had to say that that Americans are regulated by customs and were stubborn and zealous. By Americans, he doesn't mean us Americans now. Yeah, not half Korean, half Oklahoma. (laughs) Right, exactly. Right. He, He meant Native Americans. Right. Regulated by customs and were stubborn and zealous, Asians are melancholic and greedy, and Africans are somehow both crafty and cunning and sly, but also lazy. How about Europeans? What did he say about them? 
just that they were good or yeah, he, basically. there was no bad trait he's like they're this 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 that and they also just care too much sometimes <laughs> <laughs> they were all either neutral or good like it would be like regulated by laws for example as opposed like to customs yeah what a douche yeah he's a douchebag <laughs> yeah he decided to douche it and... I mean, and isn't it like one of those things where, like, look, the organization of phylum and class and all that crap is important, but, like, Mon genetics has made it a huge clusterfuck, right? Because, like, a lot of the categories, in his defense, are ah, super antiquated based on, like, superficial physical similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so what I think is interesting, what I think is interesting is that some of the fine-tuned relationships from, like, the Linnaean classification definitely have fallen apart. Right. Okay. What I think is impressive is that there is a surprising amount of stuff, relationships that people kind of put down in the 1700s, 1800s that stand up because there is this impressive relationship between morphology and function and genetics. Okay. 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 So that does exist. There are plenty of examples. Probably a majority of the relationships were wrong. Right. But the fact that any of them were right... I think he's like, hey, that's pretty cool. Sean Allen, Carl Linnaeus's biggest defender. No, don't do it. <laughs> anyway, another thing, though, like, all of this is pre-Darwin, right? Right. All of this is pre-Mendel. All of this is definitely pre-DNA. So for Carl and his varietals, his categories of stuff were considered static. Right. There is no theory of evolution. How could they change? Right. And so when he categorizes us into varieties of people, he meant that statically. Yeah. That we are separate things statically. So, you know, occasionally people, you know, have sex between races. Mm-hmm. How would he think of us as half Asian? What would, what would his opinion be on that? Are we like a sexy little swirl, like in a rose? And he's like, mm, you like <laughs> us? That's a good question. I mean, botanists have made hybrid plants right. before with different qualities and stuff like that. He might have like been like, oh, there are sub varietals of hybridized right. human Variety. Of course, and he lived in Sweden. The closest thing he had was like a Danish person fucking a Swede, <laughs> right? Like that's like for him crossing a, almost maybe a step too far. Right. And so one of kind of the next things that happened was this other French dude came along. Georges Louis Leclerc. Nice. Comte de Buffon. Oh, uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> Comte de Buffon. And so I wanted to give a little kind of taste of the variety of ideas, the diversity of thought at the time, right? So the Comte de Buffon... He's often just called Buffon, by the way, was a big critic of Linnaeus. Okay. He, he actually really did not get along with Linnaeus. He didn't like not only the choices of some categorization, but also he didn't like the idea of the staticism of varietal. Well, that's cool because it sounds pretty stupid. Yeah. So he preferred the word race. Oh, okay. That's interesting. To, to contrast to Linnaeus. Wow. And he had the view that the different races had the same origin. Okay, so that like, so it's not static. We've changed over time. Yeah. And that we had started as one race that looked exactly the same as each other. Okay. And then have degenerated over time into the races that we are now. Awkward. Based on our environmental factors. I mean, was degenerated like a normative thing? Like, like, like vis-a-vis Europeans? Yes. The other ones so, degenerated? So, so unfortunately for this guy, yes, it yeah. is a normative thing. Also a douche. Yes. Yeah. And racist. But... That is a fundamental actual dividing line between some thinkers. Right. Was the idea of, are we one humanity? Right. Or are we multiple humanities? And this guy's actually right. Yes, did in that he, sense. Did he find Lucy in the Great Rift Valley? Did he, like, find <laughs> Australopithecus? No, no, no that, that wasn't until much later. But, yeah. so, you know, in that sense, what mattered to him 
focused on the term race was that these characteristics of people could change and were mutable and that mm. they had, you know, these kind of bloodlines and everything like that. Cool. But that, so there's this link to ancestry as related to the changing nature of human difference. Okay. okay? And, so racist, yeah. but kind of, kind of touching on what it turned out to be true is that about evolution in general, right? Yeah. And I, I think he gets at it better than Linnaeus does. Right. Despite, you know, still being racist. Right. So now we got this other guy. So we talk about Frenchmen. We talk about Swedes. We're missing out on German racists. Yeah. So Johann Blumenbach. Okay. So this German dude stepping into the ring, 1795. He had read Linnaeus's and Buffon's stuff and felt like they were both lacking in measurements. Mm. He was like... Where's the empiricism? Ah, well, there's one solution to that in racism. So, you gotta get some skulls. <laughs> Blumenbach was like, I love skull collecting. Yeah. Okay, he was a big skull collector. Dia de los Huertos. <laughs> He's all about <laughs> it. He loved Coco. And he loved measuring these skulls from all over the world. And he wanted to classify people based only on physical characteristics that could be quantitatively measured and group them together that way. Because he considered Linnaeus's groupings to be unscientific because they were based on stereotypes. Okay, so, wow, that's so empirical. Did he just, like, completely rewrite the book then? Well, he basically took Linnaeus's categories and then added Malay to it. Okay, so, so this guy's a dick, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but unlike Linnaeus and more like Buffon, he also believed in common descent, which is to say that all people have a common ancestor. Okay. And he believed that people could achieve a perfect state of humanity. That's cool. In terms of physical and mental capacity, regardless of race. So right. he thought that like every... how do you feel after eating in and out? It's just like <laughs> just a step closer. It's such a platonic ideal of fast food. <laughs> um, but he thought that all peoples of you know, whatever race you were, had that capacity to reach perfection. Okay, cool. Okay. So that there was nothing intrinsic in any one race that would keep them from perfection. Hey, how progressive. He still thought I mean, he's racist. So he oh, still okay. thought that the <laughs> Caucasians were the closest to perfect already. Right. right. Well, this is the complicated thing about, like, natural philosophy in the 18th century. There was a really active debate about whether humans were good or evil or mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. You can't entirely escape and decouple that entire conversation from, like, broader racist assumptions. Sure. So even the nicest guy is still racist. He's just, like, a little bit more Rousseauian about his racism. Yeah, well, I mean, so I will say that while I was compiling these notes, as I read Blumenbach's, like, whole shtick, yeah. I was like, this guy's the nicest racist in this episode. Okay, but we've got one more guy. we got one more awesome 18th century man, very esoteric fellow, very cool Freemason, loved pyramids, Thomas fucking Jefferson. Yeah, so Thomas Jefferson is here in the notes not because he was a great scientist, because he wasn't. Yeah, okay? he People list Thomas Jefferson as a scientist, and I agree... In sort of a kind of a broader definition, but he sucked at it. He was right. not a good scientist. Yeah, he was okay. way too busy being a horny asshole. Yeah, and so besides being a bad scientist, he was also a fucking racist, like a racist asshat. Way worse than anybody else we've listed so far, <laughs> which is like, I mean, impressive. He like actually owned slaves, right? Like the other guys. <laughs> yeah, they just wrote right. about it, like kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson actually had slaves. And he did not, like, you know, Washington had slaves, but he freed them. At right. Least, right. Right. Like, fucking Jefferson didn't do that shit. Yeah. John Adams was, like, sitting over in Massachusetts being like, I don't know. <laughs> like, this seems wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so even, like, some people like to attempt to contextualize some of these people in their time period as being like, everyone loved racism then. What it's are you supposed to do? It's not true, actually. Right. There was a very active debate about slavery at the time. Right. And Thomas Jefferson just happened, like, Thomas Jefferson was, like, such a little needle dick 
dick son of a bitch about it. He was <laughs> like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, what would we do without him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? yes. So uh, he wrote this book, Notes on the State of Virginia in 1782, in which he says all kinds of really stupid shit about black people based on his personal observations about his slaves. And so he was woefully and probably willfully ignorant about the ethnic diversity of black people. Yeah. And the diversity of their cultures, despite this information being widely known for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Right. E even for racist reasons, they would be like, oh, you don't want to go to this part of Africa to capture people and enslave them because their culture does not make for good slaves. Like, that kind of stuff, even in a racist context, people knew. They right. knew, and they talked about it, and they wrote it down. For very pragmatic reasons. Sure. Like, like over hundreds of years of observation, and for pragmatic reasons, pro-slavery, people knew different West African tribes. Right. Right. And Jefferson basically just whitewashed over all of that. He was like, black people, they're all the same, and they should be slaves. Also, James Madison was, like, a much better theorist than Thomas Jefferson. Sure. Like, no offense, but there's just, like, some smarter guys cooking up at the pot. He did not make the best ratatouille is what I'm trying to say. Yes, I agree. And, you know, so Jefferson, he called for more scientific study to be done. Well, that's good. On race topics. Oh, okay. To better prove the inferiority of black people. That went downhill, like, real <laughs> hard. And his writings were very influential in racist thought. And okay. he was part of the Freemasons, but there was like a lot of QAnon style shit that was besmirching John Adams. Uh. And like the Democratic Republicans took advantage of that and were very Trumpian in their victory. Yeah, so Jefferson can go fuck himself. Yeah, did buy Louisiana <laughs> though for like two pennies. <laughs> yes. He had a yeah. great working relationship with Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, Jefferson has done some things that were not bad. Yeah. But... So many things that were terrible. We should have the maturity to say that Thomas Jefferson is both an important founder and a total son of a bitch. Yeah. Who, like, also had many malignant after effects. Yes. Yes. So to close that out, yeah, I mean, we should take a break, cool off for a couple minutes, but fuck you, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be that polarizing, so just fuck you, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. The following is an actual advertisement. If you are looking for a podcast that makes you laugh until your sides hurt a little bit, that talks about science without you having to break out the thesaurus or an encyclopedia, and that also has black scientists and amplifying their voices, and if you maybe just want to hear people ramble about the things that they love while they're drunk, then Sip and Size the podcast for you. Check out the show on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out. Okay, guys, we're back with our Petri Dish episode on terrible things. Um, so far, we've talked a lot about natural philosophy. And so all the classifications, the discussion, this nascent conversation around race still has a lot of more philosophical qualities, right? Shitty philosophy, by the way, but like it's still not super empirical. Blumenbach kind of started to approach that with the measuring of skulls, but in the 1800s, we're going to go full ham and we're going to pervert empirical sciences to best validate racist premises. Hey, we're in the 1800s now, everybody. Congrats, we've made it. The Erie right. Canal. It's the beginning of a new age of racism. Yeah, dude. <laughs> this is around the same time as Jackson. Yeah. Doing a lot of bad stuff. Guys. Yeah, so we got this guy named Samuel Morton. Mm. Okay, and he's this racist dude puttering around Philadelphia in the 1820s and 1830s. Worst city. 
He was <laughs> still Philly, bad. Philly fans are brutal. Dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sean, no one in Philadelphia listens to a science pod. That's true. But, Just kidding. Oh my God, they'll kill us. I okay. love you, Philadelphia. <laughs> so we, if we ever do a tour or something like that, yeah, which... How would we ever get there? But Alton Brown style. I'm playing guitar the whole time. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. We should avoid Philly. That's all I'm saying. Um, He was a big fan to Samuel Morton. He was a big fan of Blumenbach. And he was like, Blumenbach did some measuring, but what if I do a shitload of measuring? Right. I'm like even more horny for skulls. Right. Let's get at it. And he was also kind of influenced by this glowing... Or, no, sorry. What? By by this growing... Indiana Jones 4? (laughs) He's influenced by this growing trend... The crystal skull? In sort of pseudoscience called phrenology. Right, right, phrenology. And phrenology is about how you can associate certain measurements of your skull with diseases and personality types and things like that. Maybe yeah. we should say just offhand, total bullshit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing, here's the thing. Certain, like very, very specific genetic disorders and stuff like that, and occasionally some diseases can result in sort of particular... Skull characteristics. Right. Like a guy with a really big head is like always a little sad. <laughs> right? His head's too big. It's like it's like Jeff Winger it's, it's in the too, community. He's got too much forehead. It's, right? it's too much space for the bad thoughts. To yeah, like exactly. Out. Exactly. Just ricocheting in this cavernous skull of big headed man. Okay. So no, not that. But, but there are certain kinds of genetic disorders that can lead to very specific changes to your skull. Right. But aside from that... Aside from those really specific instances... Phrenology's mostly bullshit. Mostly bullshit. But Morton thought that that whole field was interesting and also knew Blumenbach had started writing about this. So he amassed a huge collection of skulls. He wrote to scientists all over the world and was like, hey, if you run across a dead body sometime, you want to give me that skull? Wow. And basically grabbed a bunch of them, which are currently now housed at the University of Pennsylvania. Fucking Philadelphia. Which is fun because that University of Pennsylvania is putting a lot of work into whitewashing Samuel Morton so that they can keep their skull collection and not feel bad about it. That's really weird. (laughs) Why do they want it? (laughs) Because it's a really big... They're like, hey, we got the biggest skull collection in the world. Philadelphia's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So Morton, unlike Blumenbach, was a polygenicist. And what that means is that he denied the Christian and later arguments that we all come from Adam and Eve, basically. Right. We have one origin. And he's like, no, bro. This skull? Its diameter's big. (laughs) It must be from something else. Right. So he was like, all right, I'm going to be classifying people. And as I classify people, I'm going to set them up into different races. And in that process, it's going to illustrate that they could not possibly come from the same origin. They must be descended from completely separate peoples. Did he have, like, a really thin head? Like, why is he such a dick about it? Yeah. It's like growing up, everyone was like, pencil head! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. prove you wrong. I don't know. I don't know what made him this particular brand of racist shithead. But... i just tell you what, I don't know if he had a wife or girlfriend or a boyfriend or something, but, like... Very forgiving people, because that was, like, a big backyard full of skulls, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> like, yes. That's a uh, weird hobby. It is. So he took... A lot of really precise skull measurements. And what I will say is that these skull measurements do seem to, by large, hold up today. Well, what does that mean? Like, like you like, measured like, them right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Here's the thing. is Since Morton, there have been several people who have said he was racist. And then go on to say that means that he might have falsified his data. Or he might have been 
influenced oh, by his opinions to like change okay. how he collected stuff. So no, let's not besmirk Samuel Morin for his <laughs> measuring, measuring of skulls. Yes, <laughs> he's yes. great at that. So as far as we can tell, based on a sampling of those skulls, his measurements appear to be pretty good. It's his interpretation of those results that are skewed by his shitty brain. Yeah, and being a shitty racist. Right. right. So we know that because there was another scientist at the same time, Friedrich Tiedemann, and he was hanging out in Germany. And also amassed a large skull collection because he was also a skull weirdo. Okay, so did he come to the same conclusions as Morton then? He got very similar data to Morton. Wait, by the way, what was Morton's conclusions? That we must be different races okay, of people. Okay, so he had that hypothesis, he quote-unquote tested it, and then he was like, oh yeah, man, totally different people. Right. And But Tiedemann... Yeah, Tiedemann's interpretation of the results, which by the way, the results are pretty much the same... Tiedemann's like, hey, these aren't different enough. Right, he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> he's like, these aren't that different. We're all the same kind of people. You right. know what I mean? Right. And so he was like, there's not enough evidence here to disprove us being of the same descended origin. And he was like, black people don't have smaller skulls than white people. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's like, we're all pretty much the same kind of people. What probably happened is Morton got Rochester's skull. <laughs> and Rochester's fat fucking head is so fucking big and so sexy in Jane Eyre, right? That it skewed off all the other European results. Well, it's so- like if you did it now, Michael Fassbender's head alone would, like, ruin your statistical analysis. That's how fucking <laughs> fat his head is. So, so uh, Morton, you know, like I said, he was very influenced by phrenology and all that. And he, in turn, was influential on phrenologists. So there was kind of this circle of pseudoscience bullshit around him anyway. Yeah, it was like the Trump administration. But basically, the main point is, like, hey, look, he went into it with racist assumptions and a desire to prove a racist hypothesis. And even though his data, his collection of data looks pretty good, right. his interpretation of it was tainted right. by his own viewpoints. We're going to get into this in our other parts, but like, there's different ways racism can fuck up your science. Yep. One of it is premises. One of it is experimental models. This guy's experimental model was like, in theory, fine. He yeah. measured skulls well. His premises were s- bullshit, and because of that, his conclusions were also bullshit. Right. Exactly. Next dude. Next racist. Next racist. <laughs> we got Samuel Cartwright in 1851. Okay. So, scientific progress, it's kept moving, right, since Morton's time. And to give a little context, this is around the time of stuff like Uncle Tom's Cabin, we're going to have a civil war in 10 years, Cartwright, good friends with Jefferson Davis. And by now in the South, you know, like we mentioned this, in Jefferson's time, there actually was a pretty active debate whether slavery was fundamentally evil or not. And there was kind of an understanding that it was, but also like, yeah, we're we're sleepy, like we don't want to deal with it. By the 1850s, you had this idea called paternalism, which basically was like, slavery is good, and we're making them Christian, and we're awesome. And so, at that point, we need to do some practical things. How do you keep slaves alive? Right? Right. So, what we had was Samuel Cartwright. I was supposed to start saying enslaved peoples. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's well, my bad. We'll, we'll, we'll keep working on it. Yeah. Um, so, Samuel Cartwright was a doctor, right? And so, his main task was to treat and diagnose and looked after the health of enslaved black people. Douchebag. But in that process, like you said, he was friends with Jefferson Davis. So he was also in this context of wanting a justification for slavery. Right, we want to use science to have another legitimation of slavery. So sometimes he just made shit up, okay? (laughs) He invented a disease called drapetomania, and it's a powerful and chronic disease of enslaved people. Okay? <laughs> and what it does is it mysteriously makes them want to be free. 
and wow. mysteriously makes them want to run away. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. So they invented this disease that would afflict these enslaved people as if it were like literally some kind of sickness that they had. That's insane. And he said, but we got the cure. Slavery. Wow. That if you keep them enslaved and if you, <laughs> if you keep treating them as slaves... Then, in that process, they will become cured of drapetomania. Oh, hey, but get this. He also did not believe in germ theory, <laughs> just for good measure. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I'm looking at a photo of him, and oh, wow. That's like John C. Riley's ugly brother. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you look at a picture of a lot of these racists, it's, it's not hard. It's not hard to make fun of yeah. them. So he also made up shit about the size of their blood vessels. Oh, the blood vessels are smaller, so they don't get as much blood to their brain. And wow. He, he made up... He made up shit about the color of their blood. He was like, their blood is blacker. And wow. like, he just like, he made up a lot of shit. What a dick monkey. And he also made up stuff about how black people have a poorer intellect, but better senses or physical ability. He was like, they Dude, can smell really well. That shit still lingers. Yes. I was talking to my boss basically back when I was a teacher. And he was basically just saying that shit. About all the classic stuff like swimming and strength and stuff. And he's like, oh, well, people were bred for that. That's why they're stronger. And he's just like, oh, man, I don't know. I've seen Ta-Nehisi Coates, man. <laughs> That's a really smart guy. Doesn't look that strong. <laughs> but I think it's true that this stuff has, like, persisted incredibly well. Yeah. Considering it's, like, 170 years ago. Like, right? you drink two beers with a guy and you have no clue if the next comment is like, oh, yeah, well, the Williams sisters, really right. strong. And you're like, oh, yes. God. Yes. You're such a dickhead. Yes. You can't have beers with random people anymore. <laughs> yeah, <you do>. <laughs> <laughs> people are too free. Yes. You know Stacy's I mean? always <laughs> like, why do you drink at home all the time? <laughs> and I'm like, because out there it's racist. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what I want to end this episode with is I want to talk about two people where I don't really know how racist they were. Right. Okay. In fact, they're just kind of really important to the history of science, but their ideas, not only do they undergrid really important innovations in science, they also tragically undergrid the racist deviations of those same ideas. Right. So next time we're going to be talking about eugenics and genetics, and really that episode is kicked off by the ending of this episode. Like It could not have happened without the two incredible scientific leaps in knowledge that happened so who are these cats right darwin and mendel Ooh, i know okay. those guys so i'll say again darwin and mendel i don't know how racist they were all right especially mendel because there's really not that much known about mendel like he wasn't really famous in his time so there's not quite as much writing to really know what he thought about black people he was like also a monk right yeah he's like a monk looking at flowers and shit he, he might have only seen pea plants and like one other white monk so he right. might not even know i was about to say he like didn't <laughs> he didn't know about crazy rich asians yes. he didn't know about the obama presidency sure definitely not so yeah, definitely so, not that. <laughs> so so darwin it seems tried to keep his head down when it came to racist stuff because right. he, was, he was writing about evolution. And also, like, he was alive when people started to make social Darwinist arguments. And yes. I know Darwin was, like, pretty uncomfortable with that. Yes. He's like, I don't know, but I like, I like Finch's guys. Yeah, well, and also, there's a certain kind of kumbaya-esque nature to his we're all descended from the same thing kind of shtick. And so, I think he really did not want to talk about race. Right. Regardless of what he actually, like, in his heart thought about it. I think he really did not Why want to. Why are you that so convinced he's racist? Oh, it, I assume automatically 
anybody in the 1850s oh, was racist. Oh, what about <laughs> William Lloyd Garrison? <laughs> racist! Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I will say that sometimes even, like, abolitionists and stuff were racist, right? Yeah, that's like, true. There, there's a lot of reasons and ways to be racist. <laughs> so, that's true. So there are plenty of abolitionists who were like, we need to be able to set all the black people free and put them back in Africa so that we don't mix with them anymore. Right, You know, there, yeah. there, was, there was shit that was racist, very racist, and still against slavery. Abraham right? Lincoln, interestingly, was a moderate in this conversation because he was like, yes, maybe it's true. We're different. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still wrong, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like sure. which is why, you know, activism's important because, like, he had to be pressured by abolitionists for the entire first half of his presidency to make the Emancipation Proclamation possible. And, of course, even that was a half measure. Yes. Activism's important, guys. Yeah. But so is voting. So, <laughs> so Darwin did say stuff about how races are different, okay? He said things about how skin color and hair and intellect differs between races. Right. And okay. I see in your notes, he just kept on talking about Polynesians or something? Well, so one of the things is like, he was like, when discussing the differences between races, you'll notice a difference in intellect between Malaysians and Papua New Guineans. And you're like, huh. wow. Like, that's a fascinating comparison right. when it's, you're... It's hard to know exactly <laughs> yeah. what his model is then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do you want to take out of that, right? Yeah. It's like, I guess you're like a really kind of odd sort of racism. I saw a hilarious documentary that everyone should see in the 1970s called Cannibal Tours. And it's about these tours that Germans would take through cannibal parts of Papua New Guinea. And we're like... Look at these noble savages. Look at how crazy it is. And the tours were, of course, led by Papua New Guineans. They didn't know the documentarians spoke their language. So they'd be like, look at all these stupid crackers. <laughs> Dumbass crackers. <laughs> Take, taking all their money. <laughs> Dumb fuck Germans. <laughs> and it's an awesome documentary about like the way that Europeans, even when they have positive feelings towards like some group, it can be colored by that noble savage stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So clearly, though... Darwin's theories surrounding evolution and natural selection were very rapidly adapted into the human context. Right, he, super rapidly. Yeah, which he tried to avoid some. He also wrote something on human evolution and sexual selection, but he still really, I think, tried to keep right. race out of his writings. Nice try, buddy. This yeah. asshole named Herbert Spencer like read the book, <laughs> jerked off for four days, and was like, poor people are poor because of their biology. Yeah, so what's fun is that Herbert Spencer was kind of sitting around and had already been thinking about ideas like survival of the fittest before he read Origin of Species. Yeah, he was like, fuck! And, well, he, get he read Origin of Species, and he got just like such a crazy right, boner. Right, like, Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Herbert Spencer, go fuck yourself. And then... Such an awkward meeting. When Herbert Spencer's like, oh my god, totally makes sense. You know, MAGA. <laughs> and Darwin is like, oh, I don't know. Charles Darwin was like Jim Mattis in this. He's like, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, god. So, I mean, also awkwardly, Darwin's fucking second cousin, Francis Galton, adapted that shit into eugenic. And then Mendel, right? So, like I said, Mendel... Not that much writing. He was a fucking monk, right? So like, he, he was not out there, out and about in society. Too busy praying, like baby. Right. But his data about inheritance of traits by plants was really, really, really important right. for genetics, for the right. development of genetics. Way before we understood DNA, yeah. we understood genes. Right. So we didn't know what genes were made out of, and we didn't understand the physical, biological context for how they are spread, but we did have an idea a, about... A model about traits being inherited. Right. Because of Mendel. And I mean, like, and you guys probably all learned this, unless you're sleeping in class. But, like, <laughs> you guys all probably learned this in maybe even just middle school and high school, right? Like, Darwin, Mendel, the roots of our 20th century and 21st century understanding of 
genetics. But like that was so built in a racist structure that like those fields were indelibly tied. Is that how you say that word? Yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah. We're <laughs> we're super close tied. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like the innovations moving forward were tragically also racist innovations. Yeah, fundamentally. Right? Fundamentally. Yeah, and so you know what's interesting is Mendel was around about Darwin times. He published his findings in 1865, and then they kind of. People weren't that excited about it. They were somewhat excited. There was a little bit of a stir, but it didn't get fixed in anybody's minds until like 1900. Right. When some eugenicists were sitting around. Right. And they were like, look at this shit. Wait a minute. We fucking, this is a gold mine. This is why I hate Italians. <laughs> what? No, like almost literally. It's why like, Italians? Eugenicists were like, you know, because in the American context, a lot of eugenics was around central and southern Europeans. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Right? Like a lot of Italians, a lot of Czech, a lot of Poles, they moved into these cities. And, you know, Jane Addams, who founded all these great houses, was an important suffragette. She's walking around. She's like, these guys are gross. She's mad racist towards southern and central Europeans. And she was like, maybe we got to figure out a way to breed some of the Italianness out of Italians. <laughs> right? Like, like it's, it, I mean, it's actually really tragic how much progressivism was tied to eugenics in that time. Yes. The next episode, we have a lot of talking We're about eugenics. We're going to get in there. But yeah, Woodrow it, Wilson. It is definitely a shame how much progressivism was tied in to eugenics. Thanks for being around for this first episode, you guys. I don't know how big some of these names are to you. I mean, I assume everyone knows Thomas Jefferson and fuck that guy. But like, <laughs> you know, Carl Linnaeus or whatever, you know, whether or not that was as surprising as it was to you as it was to me as a scientist, you know, I don't know. But I hope this helps give a little bit of an idea of how science and race and racism have been tied together for hundreds of years. Right. And, you know, way, way back to some of the earliest stirrings of biology as a field at all. Right. Like, you know, the scientific revolution is a big term, but what it refers to in its most radical concept are people finding a different way to understand the world than the Platonism and the philosophy of the prior generations. Mm -hmm. But what is tragic about it is that this goal for an empirical reality was also a tool to legitimate racist structures that were socioeconomically beneficial to the scientists who created these otherwise important and empirical fields. You know, that's why our project is to discouple this racist origin of science from the utopian ideal of science in an actual reckoning with reality. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of more fundamentally, like taking a step back even from racism, there is an intractable observer effect in science. In right. That, like, we, is it a wave or a particle? <laughs> <laughs> we, we craft the questions, we gather the data, we analyze the data, we interpret the data. At every single one of those steps... We're in it, and the only way to combat that isn't to pretend that we don't have biases. Right. It's also not to overthrow science entirely right. and to yes. render the entire project illegitimate. Right, right. It's to recognize our biases and also, I mean, to do science together, right? Because, I mean, I think different kinds of people have different biases. That's one of the reasons why peer review is supposed to work is we're supposed to be able to come at things from different angles. And we need to do that and admit, like, hey, if we're racist, we should try to stop. But also, that can affect our science, and we need to have other people in there to look at it. So, yeah, you know, guys, thanks for being here for episode one. Next episode, eugenics and genetics. Woo!
Woo boy. Hot stuff, baby. Ooh, and a little bit closer to us now in time. If the episode one stuff, you're imagining mostly people in wigs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Episode two, we're talking 1900 to present day. You're All talking right, to so. some of these people. They're still alive and they're still racist. Yes. <laughs> so we'll see you guys next time. Let's say thanks to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Stacy. Yay. Woo! And thanks, Brian Allen, for the artwork. Who, through a single act of miscegenation, made us. Just kidding. <laughs> through two of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was two acts. Thank you, Brian, for art. <laughs> Fuck. Thanks to Griffin Allen for the fun little animation duders. And thank you to all our Patreon supporters, everyone who's subscribed. If you haven't written a review yet, please write a review. Yeah, podchaser.com or wherever you want to toss down a review, we really appreciate it. We're on Twitter at DishPodcast. You can tweet at us there, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you.